Well, good morning, everybody. You can stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. If you have your Bible or your app, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me. These are the words of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This has been the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Well, this is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost falls 50 days, including Easter Sunday, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus. And the, the resurrection of Jesus was and is the, the seminal event in all of human history, all of the history of the world. But the story of his resurrection, as great, as amazing as it is, it, it's, it's incomplete without Pentecost. In fact, there seems to be, as Jesus is in this passage, he's in this, these final instructions, the final discourses that he has with his disciples. And this time, there seems to be two days that he's looking forward to. And he doesn't, he, he's told them about his resurrection. He's told them that's coming. But there's two days that he's pointing to that he keeps referencing in his conversations with these, these disciples. And one is what we will find out to be the day of Pentecost when the promised Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people. And secondly, what we talked about last week, the day of the Lord, the day that he returns to gather his people and fully establish his kingdom. Now, the day of Pentecost is when the promised Holy Spirit was poured out on those first disciples. As we've seen the past few weeks, it unleashed a power that the world has never seen. And really, those early disciples, those weak, uneducated, uncouth, uh, untrustworthy group of people that were gathered up in that upper room, they didn't just kind of come out of that room, they exploded out of that room. In fact, they didn't explode, a power exploded out of that room like the world has never seen. The, the very presence of God, don't miss this, the very presence of God was poured out on and within human souls. Do you hear that? The very presence of God poured out on and within human souls. So much so that those, those early Christians, when it says that they, when it talked about their gatherings, it says they would gather with a sense of awe in their midst because they knew God was there. They found within them and through their teaching, they found a power to convince minds and to change people at a heart level that the world had never seen before. As we've seen the past few weeks, that day is still the day that we live in, but the question remains, why don't we see that kind of transformation and power in our day? That, mean, that remains the question. It's hard to look at the course of church history without asking that question, why don't we see that kind of power and that kind of transformation at work in our day? And I think that Jesus' message in this passage today is addressing that. And I'm going to be upfront in my, my hope for you guys today. My hope for you guys today is that this message will upend your praying. I hope it will change your praying. But also pray it will upend and change your life. 
Because this is an astonishing message, an astonishing promise from Jesus. And it is to every single person who calls him Lord. And it is to every local congregation, including Doxa Church. And here's why it's so important. Because Jesus says, and hear this, Jesus says, you are called to do great works. Make a note of that, a mental note. Pin that in your, in your mind. You are called to do great works. Here's words again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, he says, if, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, this passage comes in the final teachings of Jesus. They're called the, the farewell or the upper room discourses. It's just after Judas leaves, after Jesus predicts that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. And, and Jesus predicts Peter's denials. When, when Judas leaves, Jesus then begins to teach. These are his final things he has to share with his closest disciples. And he uses this opportunity to assure his disciples. He's heading towards his death. I'm heading toward my death. But he says, that doesn't mean that anything is going to be over. In fact, what it means is a whole new kingdom, a, a whole, new, whole new way of living, a whole new existence is going to begin after I die and I'm resurrected and I pour my spirit out upon you. Jesus is what he's doing in this, these discourses and these, in in these teachings is he's preparing his disciples for their post-Easter life. He's told them, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. I'm going to take your sin and your guilt and your shame. Hear that this morning. If you're a believer... Christ has laid down his life for you. He has taken your sin, your guilt, and your shame. But that's not all. Because, because he has taken care of the sin problem or your enemy against God problem, which is your true problem, then, he says, then I will be able to pour out my spirit upon you. You will be, he tells them, you will be united with God again. And this is how he describes it. He says, you're going to be so united with me, it will be like the way a branch dwells within a vine. That's how united you'll be with me. And he says then in, verse, in chapter 17, he says that you, that we will be one with him and the Father and with each other. That's what he says. That's how close your union will be with God. He says, he describes our relationship to the Father and to the Son as to the relationship that they already have with each other. He's describing we'll be brought into that relationship. What he's saying is that he's going to create a bunch of people who look and act like him. And then Jesus gets to this verse, what we call verse 12 of chapter 14, and he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. 
Now, whenever you hear that phrase, when Jesus says that phrase, it's a marker phrase. It it means, listen up, this is really important. It means, really, really, give me your attention. It means, or this is the solemn truth. Jesus says, truly, truly, listen up, this is really important. Listen to what I have to say. This is the solemn truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever. Is he talking to the, the apostles? Yes. Is he talking to only the apostles? No, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, Jesus says this is really important, whoever believes in me, this is what they're going to do. Do you believe in Jesus? That's really the big question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the son of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you personally believe in him and on him? Not just about him, but do you personally believe in him and on him? Do you believe in him personally as your Savior and your only hope of salvation? Are you looking to him and to him alone for your salvation? Do you believe in him, I'm asking you, as your Lord and your King? Are you living in active submission, trying to live in active submission to him in all things in your life? That's what it means to believe in Jesus. It doesn't just mean that I believe like conceptually about him or I signed a card one day or I attend church. It means that you actively are placing all of yourself, all of your hopes, all of your faith upon him to be the savior for you and you are bowing your knee to him alone to nobody else not to yourself not to your spouse not to your boss not to your bank account not to a political party to him and him alone not him above any of those things but him alone Believing in Christ is not believing about him. It's believing in him alone as your Savior and your Lord and your King. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you believe that, if if you don't, don't be embarrassed, but if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, just raise your hand. All right, I have you for the rest of this message now. Because whoever, guess what, now belongs to all of you. Does anybody who believes in Christ fall out of this marker that Jesus is giving? Whoever believes in me, what? Does Jesus lie? Does Jesus fudge things a little bit? Is Jesus kind of like painting a metaphor here? He says, whoever, listen up, truly, truly, whoever believes in me, whoever. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, he says. Now, before I even finish that sentence, some of you were qualifying that statement in your mind. Yeah, but. Or maybe even, yeah, right. Or, yeah, but not really. See, if you are a whoever believes in Jesus person, you have to come to grips with what he's saying here. 
You have to deal with this phrase that he says because it's a statement by Jesus himself and there's no qualifications attached to it. Is he saying, whoever believes in me that's a great pastor? Does he say, whoever believes in me that is one of my original apostles? No, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. It's not a nebulous term that we don't understand. John spends a lot of time in his gospel describing exactly what the works of Jesus were. What are the works of Jesus? What were the works of Jesus? Well, John said, number one, he said there's so many works that uh, like the, all the libraries in the world couldn't contain what he did. But there are at least four categories of the works of Jesus that we're just going to hit on this morning. Four general categories. These are four works that John describes that Jesus actually lays out as the works that he was doing. First of all, acts of humble service. John 13, 14, and 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, these are, this is Jesus talking, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Jesus says, one of my works are acts of service and love for other people. So much so that it doesn't care what my position is, whether I'm higher than them or not, but I serve people around me in acts of humble service. Acts of humble service, but also acts of love. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are, are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. How did he love us? He loved us by serving us and by giving his life for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. The second category, humble service, but also acts of love. But then another thing that Jesus did, another work that he did was he declared the word of God and he declared it with authority. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and does his works. Whenever Jesus went around teaching and proclaiming the gospel, he went about and they said, wow, this man teaches with authority like we've never seen before. What other works did Jesus do? He did miracles. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people, uh, more than 5,000 people out of a, a couple of, uh, one little boy's lunch. He cast out demons. He healed paralytics. He walked on water. He raised the dead and he healed the sick. And any understanding of what doing the works of Jesus are have to include at least those four categories. Acts of love, humble service, proclaiming the gospel, and seeing God uh, verify his gospel and verify his presence and truth through miracles. This is how Peter described the works of Jesus in Acts. He said, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and the power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is what Jesus did. He did good 
And he delivered people from the power of darkness. That's what Jesus did. Those were the works of Jesus. He did good, and he delivered people from the power of darkness. And did you hear how he did it? Because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power from God the Father. And Jesus says, whoever believes in him will follow him in this kind of life. Will, be, will follow him in the kind of life that is doing good and pushing back darkness. Not by your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Whoever believes in him will follow Jesus in his works. Now, that last one that we talked about, healing and miracles, that one's a stickler for some of you guys. And you don't have to wrestle with me and my stance. You just have to wrestle with Jesus and what he said about what whoever believes in him will do. And the points of these works in our lives, acts of humble service, acts of love, declaring the gospel and seeing the miraculous occur, they serve to do the same thing that they did with Jesus. That is to expand his kingdom, to showcase his power over the devil, and to glorify, the, glorify God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm saying. Whoever believes in Jesus, and you all, every person here who raised your hand, including you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do my works that will serve to expand the kingdom, showcase God's power over the devil, and to glorify God. That's what you are called to do. Now, does that mean that we will see miracles done by everybody all the time? No, not even the apostles saw that. But they did see miracles. And there's just no way, in my opinion, there's just no way to consider these words of Jesus to be true and to exclude the miraculous as the works of Jesus that he's talking about. They were a big part of his works. Now, what we are talking about is, is, not, is not only miracles, but it is more than that. We're talking about the kind of humble service and acts of love, the authoritative proclamation of the gospel that comes forth with such power that it glorifies God in heaven and it pushes back darkness and expands the kingdom. It doesn't just hold serve. It doesn't just try to gather a crowd, but it actually pushes back darkness, calls people to the Father, and glorifies God in heaven. And this is amazing because these works that Jesus talked about, they verified and showed who he was. But this is amazing to me. Is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm glorified by being the only one who does this. I'm glorified by showing I'm the only one that loves people sacrificially, and I'm the only one who will go to the death. I'm the only one that sees miracles happen and preaches with power. He says, no, I am glorified in everybody, whoever believes in me, follows in my footsteps and exhibits that same kind of life. He says that he and the Father are glorified by everyone who believes in him exhibiting the same works. And not only that, but he says they will do, we will do, you will do greater works, he says. Greater works than Jesus? It's pretty hard to top walking on water. 
It's pretty hard to imagine topping raising the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days. What does he mean, greater works? Well, some people say it's, it's greater works so there's more of us, and I don't think that's exactly what he's getting at here. Jesus is saying that he's going to do greater works through his followers after his death and resurrection than he did before. Did you hear that? He says, you will do greater works than me because I go to my Father in heaven. Why because? Because whenever he goes to his Father in heaven, he's going to send and pour out his Holy Spirit upon his people. A new kingdom will have dawned. Sin and guilt will have been expunged. Relationship with the Father will be restored. Union with Christ will be established. Satan and his minions defanged. And above all imagination, the Spirit of God poured out within and upon his sons and daughters. God's very presence and God's very power among his people again. Jesus is saying this, it will be greater works because we will get all the works of Jesus' earthly ministry, love, humility, his powerful teaching, his miracles, his signs, and his wonders, but also greater works in seeing new hearts and new minds, changed hearts and changed minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see conversion. We'll see regeneration. We'll see God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, one heart and one mind at a time. That's why it's greater works. Did you notice how many people Jesus was left with at the end? Just a handful. But what happened on the day that, of Pentecost that we're celebrating today? What happened on that day? 3,000 souls were added to their number that day, and you couldn't put the genie back in the bottle after that. It kept not just leaking out, but pouring out and gushing out, so much so that it says that even though all the people around them were afraid of them, still, day by day, it was added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the gospel jumped into the Gentiles and it jumped barriers and borders. It went down to India. It went up to Africa. It went over to Africa. It went up to Europe. It's covered the world and is still going today. God's presence and power will, is expanding and will not be conquered. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is saying that his believers living that kind of life, doing his work and the greater works will be normal Christianity. That's what normal, that's my point this morning. That's what normal Christianity is. It's us doing the works and the greater works than Jesus every day and seeing his kingdom expand with power and authority. That's normal Christianity. But how? How can we expect to do the works of Jesus and even greater works? He said it because, 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 because I'm going to my Father. I'm going to pour my Spirit out upon you. I will give you, he says after this, the Spirit of truth, even whom the world cannot receive. I will give you another helper and he will be with you forever. It's astonishing. This is, what, this is what I'm saying. Jesus has conquered hell and the grave. He has taken care of sin forever. He has made the one sacrifice forever. He has poured out his spirit upon us. And he has given us his promise that the church will expand in power. We will look like 
That's why they called them many, many Christ or Christians in the early church. He says, this is what my body, my people, my church will look like. And the question for us and for you this morning is, do you desire the works of Jesus in these greater works? He has done everything that he can do. He's done everything. And and the question is, do you desire to do the works of Jesus and these greater works, or do you really, do do you desire them enough? Is your appetite as strong as your heavenly Father's to see the name of Jesus glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit? See, I think our great problem Our two great problems are apathy and impotence. More one than the other. I think our greatest problem is apathy. Jesus has done his great work for us. He has given us the promise. He has poured out his spirit upon his church. And he says, ask of me. And we are too sleepy and unconcerned to ask. You are too sleepy and unconcerned to ask. Because he says, if you ask of me, I'll do it. He says, whoever believes in me will do these works and greater works. Simply ask. So why don't we see it? Because we don't ask. We don't ask with enough desire. Why don't we ask with enough desire? Because we are too sleepy and unconcerned. We are too satisfied in our dissatisfaction. If I were to take a poll of you guys and say, hey, how do you feel about your spiritual life? You feel like you're knocking out of the park? Or do you have this gnawing Thing in your soul that whenever you pay attention to it day by day, Sunday by Sunday, something inside you says, there's got to be more to this Christian life than this. There's got to be more than this. That, that has haunted, that phrase alone has haunted my life. I, I'm not I didn't plant a church, and I'm not a part of the leadership of this, t- of, this, of this church because I'm a great pastor, I'm a great leader, or because people were begging me to come and show my great skills. I'm only in this place because the question, the phrase that has haunted me all my life is, there's got to be more than this. But we are too satisfied being dissatisfied to actually ask. I would rather be frustrated with the church. I'd rather think that the church around the corner has the answer. I'd rather think if the minister was better or the community groups were sharper or the, if they did this or if they changed this. I'd like to think that if I, could, if I could scratch that itch over here at this other place, that that would answer it instead of doing the one thing, the one thing that Jesus says to do. We would do anything other than that. Show me what to do. Share me where, show me where to go. Show me who to give money to. Show me where to show up. 
That church, I'll go over there. That church, I'll go over there. This ministry, I'll try that. I'll try anything other than the one thing, he says. We are apathetic and we are impotent. We're impotent because we're apathetic, by the way. God's promised all the power we need. But we're apathetic and we're impotent. We are powerless. Even people, even Christians, even churches who acknowledge that there's an issue, they're unable to make progress. And the church continues to decline in our country and we daily lose influence and credibility. What we see is a sleepy, unconcerned kind of Christianity. Are you asleep? Do you see the Pentecost kind of power at work within you and through you? This is the promise that God made through Joel. I will pour out my spirit. I will gush it forth upon all flesh. You hear that all again? Whoever believes in me, all flesh, sons and daughters, young men, old men, even upon my servants, men and women, That's the promise that Jesus was talking about here in the upper room just before his death, the outpouring of God's Spirit in and among men and women of all stripes and all backgrounds, the reunion of his presence and power with humankind in Christ Jesus, and the only problems are our apathy and our impotence. There's no problem on God's side. He's given you all his promises. He's given you his son. He's given you his Holy Spirit. The only answer, the only answer, hear this, the only answer, if I can pastorally put something into your mind and heart today, it would be this one thing. This, the only answer, the only answer, the only, only, only answer. And let's put enough pins in that. The only answer is ambitious prayer. There is no other way. You are called to do great works, to do the works of Jesus, but you're called to do them by prayer. This is amazing. Do you see how how we're to do the great and greater works of Jesus? Do you see what he is saying? Is he saying that there's a training course you have to complete? Is he saying there's a certain level of education you have to achieve? Is he saying that there's a a certain level of maturity, a certain level of spiritual maturity that you have to attain to? Does he say that? Is he saying that there's a certain amount of effort that you have to perform? Does he say, hey, you have to strain and work hard. You've got to wake up early and go to bed late. Does he say you have to show yourself worthy? Does, Does Jesus say that you have to come up with a great plan for your church? Gather together and come up with a great strategic plan for your church that will finally get you over the hump. Does it say that you need, to, you need to get great leaders and great volunteers together and organize them well and execute the strategy well and get people motivi- motivated and excited? Is that what he says? Does it say that you have to get your location and your logo right? Does he say that you need a, a talented team? Does he say that you need a, a well-orchestrated service? Is that what he says? No? Well, if if that's not it, then what's the plan? How's it going to happen? 
What what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say will make these things happen? He says this, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that you will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that, this is why I'm going to do it, so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, what? I will do it. Jesus does the works. That's the great secret. He says, you will do my works and you will do greater works. And what's the secret behind that? He says, I will be the one doing them in you and through you. It will be me. Jesus does the greater works. He does them through us, but it is him, it is he that does them. And that's what glorifies the Father and the Son. His working through us and in us. Whoever, whoever believes in me. And who is the us? Whoever believes in me will do my works and even greater works as I work in and through you. And how do we see these things happen? Whatever you ask in my name. If you ask me anything in my name. See, that is the true source of confidence in ambitious prayers. See, there are a number of things that we pray about what we don't know the right answer to. I want, uh, God, I want to go to that school, or I want to know what school I need to go to. I want to date that person. I want to get this job. But we don't really know what's best. So we pray, and we as like humble children, we, we pray for what we think that we want and we await his answer. We, we trust that his wisdom and his decision will be best. And we say, help us to receive whatever you have for us from your hand. But here Jesus is giving an astonishing promise. It's not any guesswork. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. This is what he's saying. Ask me to do my works through you. Ask me. Just ask me. Ask me. But what are you praying for? Do you actually pray for anything with any real feeling and desperation? And if you do, what is it that you're actually praying for? Are you praying kingdom kind of prayers? Are you, saying, are you praying these kind of works prayers? God, do the works of Jesus in us and through us. Do it through me. Do it through our church. Are you praying for the works of Jesus? Are you praying big, bold prayers out of a deep desire to see the Father be glorified in the Son? Are you praying the kind of prayers that Jesus says that he will delight in answering? Are you content with prayers for your comfort and security? Maybe you're okay just your prayer life being asking prayers that are going to go unanswered that are for your security and your comfort so that you don't have to suffer. Instead of praying big and bold prayers that Jesus is longing to answer, ask me, he says. Ask me. Ask me anything in my name. Those are his words. Ask me. Ask me, he says. Ask me to do my works in you and through you. Ask me, and I will do it. Ask me anything along those lines, and I will do it. I will not hesitate to answer that prayer. You can be bold in those prayers. 
You can come boldly before me. You can come asking, God, why are you not doing it? Where are you? Because this is the promise that I have given you. Just ask me. I believe that today the Lord is looking across the face of the globe this morning seeking for somebody, just somebody who will care and believe enough to ask him for some big things, some greater kind of things, some greater kind of things that he can get behind. I believe that he's looking at this room. I believe he's looking at you and at me. And he's saying, ask me. Will you ask him? Will you ask him? We're about to partake in communion. The band's going to come up and lead us in worship. Jesus died. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that he could do these greater works in us and through us for the glory of the Father. And so, let's ask this. When you come forward, you receive the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Ask him. God, I have boldness to ask you because you told me to. And I have boldness to ask you because I see here in my hands the broken body of Christ for me. And the shed blood of Christ for me that is not only for me, but is for all those who are far off just as I was. And I ask you, would you do your work in me and through me? And would you help me to care? Would you... Help me to care enough to ask you and ask you and ask you and trust and believe that you will do what you said that you will do and that you will answer that request. Father, give us faith. Forgive us for our apathy Forgive us for our lack of concern. Forgive us for our sleepiness. And by your word and by your spirit, awaken us. And God, I'm asking for me and for us, for this church, God, would you pour out your spirit upon us? Would you cause us to see your works, the works of Jesus, to push back darkness and declare his name. Cause us to see by your power the greater works. Cause us to see conversion and regeneration in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God, help us not to be satisfied in our dissatisfaction. But to make our one plan to cry out to you, 
But God, even if we're not hungry enough, if we don't desire enough, that we ask you for the hunger and the desire. But to ask you that you do the works of Christ in us and through us. Ah, God, for your glory and for our joy. In the name of Christ.